White Sox fans, welcome into the Sox on Tap podcast. It's Johnny Nani alongside NWI Steve for our first Sunday Funday of White Sox spring training. Steve, how are you doing this evening? Hey, yo, Jonathan, I would be doing a lot better if this team would go out there and hashtag set the tone. We got problems here we need to discuss. We got problems. You're right. We, this, is, this episode is going to be called a very White Soxy start to spring training because we've got a bunch of storylines uh, that we're going to bring you here on this episode. And some of them are good. We, we've got some positive returns uh, from some performances going on uh, in Cactus League action. But then we've also got our share of very White Sox storylines. It would not be White Sox spring training without injuries, without ridiculous quotes from Pedro Griffel. Um Without guys playing out of position, we've got it all coming at you here in this episode of Socks on Tap. Uh, go ahead and subscribe over on YouTube on Tap Sportsnet. Uh, press the like, subscribe button there, um, and the little bell so you know when we go live. Jump in the comments. Appreciate uh, discussion that goes on with our lovely fans there. Uh, give us a follow on the socials at Socks on Tap and at On Tap Sportsnet. And as always, On Tap Sportsnet.com is your go to place for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Steve, let's jump right in with what I call the regulars. Talk about guys, everyday players that we expect on this team. Uh, shown out, and they basically gotten a turn through uh, for most of the guys that we are used to seeing on a regular basis here. Some good, some bad. What have you seen so far? I mean, Noodle Boy has picked up right where he left off last year, just, you know, not uh, doing much of anything. Meanwhile, now we're getting... A nice start uh, to the spring from Yoan Mancata and Aloy Jimenez, two guys that have really been lightning rods for this team over the last couple of years, and a lot of discussion centered around these guys. I know there are some people within the fan base expecting Mancata to finally put together a healthy and competent offensive season as he is going to be competing for his next contract this winter. So, um, you know, the famed contract year bounce, some people are kind of looking for out, out of him here, and who knows? Maybe they'll actually get it and and maybe flip him at the deadline for something useful. So what so you're saying is nice. Matt Cross Crawford may be justified here. Listen, everyone knows I hashtag stand with Crawford, and I always will. He is a hashtag family man, and I believe in him, and I believe that his position may very well end up being justified here when when this thing is all said and done. All right, we've got a little bit more on Mankata, but we'll save it because that ties into another uh, topic here in our rundown. Let's start with Eloy at the top there. Um, raking a bit early in spring training, Steve, shooting some gaps, driving some runs home. Uh, it's encouraging to see, but then you got to take a step back and be like, well, Andre Alberto lit up the Cactus League last year too. What, what do we make of this? Look, for veteran offensive players, I mean, there's not really much to take from spring training performances, particularly in the Cactus League where the ball does fly a little bit more than down in Florida. Uh, thin air, pitchers struggling with their secondary pitches, so can be a little bit deceiving from an offensive perspective there. With Eloy, look, it's always going to come down to two things. It's going to come down to health. And it's kind of going to come down to ability to lift the baseball. If he turns into that ground ball factory, we've seen how problematic that can be. And if he can actually stay on the field in the batter's box, kind of important. We've seen more frequently than not during his uh, tenure here with this team. He's had a hard time piecing those two things together, the health and productivity aspect at the same time. So until we really see it, I, I'm not going to take a whole lot from, you know, a, a good week in the Cactus League here. Although everyone knows I am a big believer that you hashtag set the tone for the season in Arizona here. But with Eloy, I need to see a little bit more proof in the pudding. 
Right. Um, I got a couple of remarks on Eloy here. Um, it's better to see doubles to the gap than it is weak ground outs to the infield. So I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. I know you know you can't make too much out of it. So take it with a grain of salt as well. But when you got a team that I know it's Cactus League here, but we're three and eight, struggling to score runs. Um, when a guy can actually go and bring those home, it, it makes it a little bit more hopeful. Because like I was just like thinking about like Saturday's game, like that fourteen three loss against the Rangers. Once again, it's Cactus League, but it's never fun to get your ass kicked. So, uh, Eloy bringing home some runs is at least positive in my mind. On the other side of that, beyond on-field production, there's been much made about these guys kind of gassing each other up or propping each other up, right? The the Luis Roberts and Eloy Jimenez and Yohan Mancados of the world, that kind of like triangle, right? Of what you expect to be like your everyday core that's left, I guess. Um, I want to see that actually come to fruition because it feels like all these other teams have like, you know, good camaraderie in the clubhouse. Then it leads to a surge as a team, right? I feel like we've never seen that even when things were going okay in 2020 and 2021. Well, you know, a big part of the problem was that that triumvirate right there, you've had a hard time keeping them in the lineup at the same time together. Um, I've written about that, the, the problems from that aspect of things here, but you're absolutely right, Jonathan. If you could get the three of them healthy in the lineup consistently together, it would finally be interesting to see if they could play off of each other. And if maybe they inspire a little bit better performance and a little more focus, because that's something that gets called into question quite a bit with all three of them, if we're being completely honest. So you know, if they can say, hey, you know what, this is a big year for all three of us right now. Let's all really put this thing together and kind of show the baseball world that we are better than what we have shown to this point, with the exception of Luis Robert Jr. Because, I mean, look, he performed like an MVP candidate a year ago. So he has shown that more so than the other two really have. Well, one thing that I would just finish up with on this front um, is you had mentioned Luis Robert Jr. And he has the production on the field from last year's excellent season, right? Stayed healthy for the most part as well, um, barring you know that little tick up at, uh, towards the end of the season. Um, he's done it there on the field. So we already know that. We know what kind of caliber player is. It would be very nice, even if it was behind the scenes, if you took a little bit more of a leadership mantle this year. I, I would like to see that. And I think that would be beneficial for this clubhouse. It talks a lot about culture. And as you get fancy catchphrases that we'll get to in a little bit here. You know, it's fascinating that you bring up the leadership aspect of it. That was something that was really touted with uh, the hashtag trader Jose Abreu during his time here with this team. I think especially with the Latin contingent of players, he was you know thought of and talked about publicly as being kind of a father figure of sorts. Somebody has to kind of step in to fill that gap, so to speak, right there. And, you know, Robert is a guy that we know will be here. He's under contract for another three seasons after this year. So um, assuming things don't continue to go wrong and he, you know, potentially gets moved before that contract expires, he's going to be here for the duration. So seeing him really take on the responsibilities of a leadership type role would definitely be valuable. And, you know, you think about somebody that I know we're probably going to get to here a little bit later on, Oscar Colas. Um seeing Robert kind of take him under his wing a, a little bit and say, Hey, you know, these are some things that you need to do to kind of get back in the good graces and, and find yourself and find a way back on the field and maybe into the future plans a little bit, you know, that'd be interesting to see. Right. Yep. Exactly what I'm looking for. So um, but we'll see how that shakes out. Once again, we, we're just a little over a week into cactus league action here. Um, but with that, we've basically gotten our round of 
seeing most of our regular starting pitchers at least once, uh, some of them a couple of times here. And I want to start uh, with, with one that is kind of eye grabbing because of the mainly because of the opponents he faced, but then how he fared against them. Garrett Crochet uh, made his spring training debut, and it also coincided with Shohei Otani making his spring training debut for the Dodgers. And he got he froze Shohei Otani uh, in that first at bat, uh, got him strikeout looking. Uh, Crochet added another two innings of scoreless ball here today on Sunday, March third, uh, before we were just before we recorded this episode. Um, what, what have you seen from the big lefty so far? Crochet has certainly started out in his first two outings, and he has looked. Every bit as electric as he was when he came up during the COVID-shortened 2020 season. Um, you know, he's kind of looking similar to the guy that was drafted out of the University of Tennessee and rushed to the major leagues without throwing a single pitch in, in the minor leagues. Um, you know, he's not throwing 100 and 203 anymore, but he was hitting 98, 99 and that start against the Dodgers. Um, I didn't see any of the radar gun readings here today against the Los Angeles angels of Anaheim of orange County of California, the Pacific time zone. But um, I, I know some of the highlights that I did see the stuff looked electric once again. And I personally have really called into question what, his role is going to be on this team going forward. There's been talk about trying to transition him into the starting rotation. I've publicly come out and said that I don't believe that to be a viable option here. But again, I would love for Garrett Crochet to prove me wrong. I just don't think there's enough volume under his belt here to really justify that. But, you know, hey, the early returns this spring have looked positive and um, he's looked a lot more dynamic than when we last saw him uh, taking them out for this team. Yep, encouraging on that front. And uh, I agree with the role situation here. It'll be interesting. We're, you know, it's hard to exactly carve it out um, because we are still early in the spring training calendar, just flipped to March here. So um, we're, we're talking early here, but it's always interesting, you know, and I know they're on the schedule with throwing plans and stuff, but it was not a start today, technically, even though the guys only go a couple innings in Cactus League action. It was a uh, Fetty day, uh, first time seeing him as well, uh, and then crochet through um, the next two uh, after Mr. Eric Fetty. So uh, another guy that we saw, um, another guy that has been subject of, uh, you know, a lightning rod, like you said uh, about some of the position players, uh, is Michael Kopech. And he was Kopeching in, in a start against Cubs in our first look at him. However, he came out of it unscathed, and it looked like he reined it in a little bit better than we had been used to seeing for the duration of last season. Yeah, one of the issues, obviously, that was really plaguing him last season was the control in the strike zone here and, and the walks um, in his two innings yesterday, he was able to have five strikeouts and just the one walk, but there were still a number of deep counts, a lot of three ball counts in there, you know, as he was working towards those five strikeouts being more efficient. And I, I talk about this pretty regularly on the show, talking about inefficient strikeouts. If you're going three, two on a lot of guys and you're getting those strikeouts. Okay. Sure. It looks nice in the box order, but that's how you only end up covering 15 or 16 outs. If you're having to expend six, seven pitches to get those strikeouts right there. So really focusing and attacking the zone, having better command within the strike zone, they're working ahead of hitters, staying ahead. That's going to be one of the big keys for Michael Kopech here. So obviously as the lead banister bot on twitter.com here, that's one of the things that I'm hopeful that our new pitching czar is going to be able to help Michael Kopech for here in the 2024 season. 
Right. And also, once again, important to note, only one outing here to go off of. I'm sure we'll get another one coming up in this upcoming week uh, as well. But one thing that I was texting with our guy, Aitkins, about on this, and it it relates to, sure, the performance, but then also the confidence, the mental aspect of the game, because that has been a much, you know, uh, discussed topic surrounding Michael Kopech throughout his time, um, all throughout being a member of the Chicago White Sox, right? And while the, you know, I thought it was like, oh, here we go again when he hits the first batter and then he walks the next one, but then he's able to get out of it. And that was good. And sure, like you'd said, going deep into counts, but he had like five full counts. I want to say he went to in his outing against the Cubs. Um, but coming away from that unscathed, once again, the results don't matter or they could and set the tone terms. Right. But seeing that not have a crooked number in the run column or, or the, you know, home run column or the walk. Even it was only one technically. I know you hit a batter too. So there were two free passes, so to say. Um, I think that will help his mindset going forward because it builds, it's the first step, right? If you're on a, you're going up a staircase here, first step in building that confidence for this season. And he's talked about, you know, you can't act like last year didn't happen because it did, but, the focus has to be going forward here and you're much better off with the scoreless outing than say you got roughed up for three, four runs in your first cactus league outing. Am I right? You're a hundred percent correct on that. Michael Kopech throughout his time with the White Sox has shown to be in some cases an overly cerebral pitcher and allows things to really permeate into his consciousness and impact him out on the mound. And he can be a very emotional guy out there we just got to call it what it is so being able to go out there have that scoreless out and particularly after the season that he did have a year ago that again let's be real about this he's been very upfront and, and honest about it he has not run away from the struggles that he had a year ago he's talked openly about wanting to put all of that behind him here and get back to the picture that we saw during you know the 2021 season and a good portion of the 2022 season that was a very effective pitcher for this team so having that first spring outing there going scoreless for two innings that's the type of thing that could be a building block for him to continue adding confidence as he inches towards the regular season I really hope he can figure it out, man, just because you you know when it's right. And we've just seen it in small pockets, really. The, the stuff can be very, very good. And he can be very effective at missing bats and limiting uh, hard contact and all of that. You just want to see that put together consistently. And for him, so much of that is going to be uh, on the mental side of things, especially as he looks to rebound from pretty damn abysmal 2023 in which he led all qualified starters in walks. So we'll see going forward, only one uh, outing under the belt for Michael Kopech. So um, we'll definitely keep an eyes on him uh, moving forward as Cactus League play continues. All right, let's keep it on pitching for a minute here, Steve. I'd mentioned him in passing, but Eric Fetty, first look at him. He figures to be a rotation mainstay, at least for this year, I'd imagine for next year too, since he signed there, unless he really lights it up and they trade him off. But um, Fetty, uh, two innings, four hits, one earned run, uh, one walk, three straight strikeouts um anything from him maybe some of the other guys that we've seen uh, around the likes nick nestrini jordan leisure uh notable names uh on the pitching side here you know nestrini and leisure two guys that came over from the dodgers in the lance lynn deal a year ago have both looked pretty solid in their limited outings here during cactus league play uh leisure is a guy that has the makings of a potential future closer and he's someone that has been labeled as such by prospect evaluators the stuff definitely plays 
So to see him go out there and, again, having success early in his first camp with this team is pretty positive. Nistrini, a guy that some are penciling in as a rotation piece into the future here, at some, coming up at some point during this, this season. Um, again, it's fascinating to see how he's going to develop during this first camp with the team, again, working with Brian Bannister, working with Ethan Katz, uh, going out there and having some success. And the stuff does look nasty from both of those guys. So there's certainly some positives to uh, take from that. Eric Fetty, you know, giving up the four hits here today. Again, it can be a little bit misleading when you see some of the batted ball data in there. The infields in Arizona play notoriously fast. So ground balls have a tendency to get through there much quicker than they would in Chicago or in some of these uh, outdoor stadiums in the Northeast that the team, you know, is going to play in throughout the course of the season. So that can be a little bit deceiving from that aspect of it, but he definitely did show some nice put away pitches. there, getting those three strikeouts over the course of the two innings there uh, with most of these guys. One of the things I'm just really paying attention to is just limiting the walks and, and the free passes on that. We've talked about that seemingly ad nauseum. I mean, this team has such a negative walk differential from walks taken versus walks given over the course of much of the last five to six years here. So to try to see that pendulum kind of swing the other way, I think is going to be very important and something that my hope is that Brian Bannister and Ethan Katz are heavily focused on um, when Bannister was hired from the San Francisco Giants. That was one of the things that I really highlighted and how under his tutelage, certainly not all attributed to him. That organization did make a significant turnaround in that area. Right. All right. Well, one last pitching note that uh, almost slid uh, under the radar just because the game was so forgettable itself. Uh, but Dylan Cease, the ace of this rotation, also made his spring debut was Saturday in a 14-3 loss uh, against the Texas Rangers. However, uh, in his work, he went two innings, two hits, no runs, uh, one walk, one strikeout here. Been kind of quiet on that trade front. Um, and he you know, uh, had some comments uh, after his outing as well. So uh, thoughts on Cease's outing, what he said, uh, moving forward, trade outlook? You know, going to see some words on this, on a website that you might know is ontapsportsnet.com here in very short order. Obviously, I think there's a lot of nerves within the fan base, and I think a lot of people are just kind of holding their breath every time he takes them out here now during Cactus League play because of the fact that a deal has not been consummated to this point. I understand that aspect of it. There's some people within the fan base thinking Chris Getz has overplayed his hand, asking for too much in return for Dylan Cease, but he's got a high-value commodity there, and with that comes a high asking price. Now, the one thing that I want to try to caution people about, we still do have you know, 25 days until opening day. So a lot of things can happen. Pitching injuries happen during spring training all the time. You look at the Baltimore Orioles already with Dean Kramer and John Means, two of their rotation mainstays, starting the year on the injured list for a team that was already thin in the starting pitching department. Yes, they went out and got Corbin Burns to help fortify that rotation, but this is a team that still needs pitching help, particularly frontline pitching help, given how they were embarrassed in October by the Texas Rangers a year ago. So they're just one team, though, in this equation. You look at all the other contending teams out there, you know, the Jankies, the Diamondbacks, the Cubes, uh, the Blue Jays, you know, the Dodgers. Like I said, injuries happen, and you never know when a deal could ultimately come to fruition. Um, Craig Kimbrell 
you know, famously when he was on the Sox in spring training of 2022, got traded a week before the season started as all winter that year. Everybody was saying, we got to get rid of this guy. We got to get the money off the books here. It didn't work with him setting up for Liam Hendricks. He was there all spring up until that very last week. So we still do have time for things to happen. But I know myself and a lot of other people here are really just holding their breath every time Dylan Cease throws a baseball. Yep. Well, he doesn't seem too concerned about it, at least from his comments. So um, like you said, right now, we've still got some time in between now and when opening day strikes on March 28th. So um, we'll see what happens over the course of this next month. Um, stay tuned on tipsforset.com. More words from NWI. Steve on that topic coming at you uh, in the near future here. All right. Let's get to a very White Sox uh, bit of news here. And that was also in that blowout against the Texas Rangers. Oscar Colas is playing some first base, and he let one slip through on a ground ball. I wasn't even watching at this point, just listening. But then you get the uh, news tidbits coming out from the beat reporters that Colas, oh, no, he's been taking ground balls at first base here. Um, and he did it over in Japan, too. So it's not a completely foreign um, position to him, but I don't buy it. And it's a right fielder playing first base. And then in another world, we've got a first baseman playing right field with the Gavin Sheets situation. Steve, this team is the meme that just keeps on giving. I really don't even know where to begin with this. We talk about Colas being a right fielder playing first base. This is a guy that was playing center field in the minor leagues. And now we're taking ground balls at first base when Andrew Vaughn and Anthony's baby boy, Gavin Sheets, who seemingly is incapable of being removed from this roster there in that particular position. And now we're going to cycle in Oscar Colas. I mean, what, what is the plan here to have him playing first base down in Charlotte? I really don't know what we're doing here at this point to me in a lot of ways, it seems like, He's just Mr. Clean's personal whipping boy. And now we're going to sit here and we're going to have him play out of position. Because let's be real about this. He's not a first baseman. You can talk about him playing there in Japan all you want. He's an outfielder by trade. So going and doing this now, it almost seems as if this might be Oscar Colas's last legs with this organization at this point. That's so weird to say, considering yeah, he just right. made his debut last. I understand it didn't go well, but and I'm not huge on him, but still, that is just, like I said, it's a meme. It's a meme at this point. It's so White Sox. <laughs> yeah, it really is, Stephen. Like I said, you know, I, I, I uh, dubbed him Busboy last year, but um, I also had said some comments when the White Sox traded for Dominic Fletcher. And while I expected Dominic Fletcher to be one that would rise above that and be more likely um, the, the option in, in right field to start this year, that didn't mean for me that Oscar Colas is completely out of the picture because guess what injuries happen over <laughs> course of 162 game grind guys get hot guys get cold you never know if maybe something clicks in the minors i was just thinking more he gets moved down the depth chart not fucking bounce to a new position what are we doing meanwhile gavin sheets is still taking fly balls in right field somehow yeah it, make it, it make sense i will go to the guy who you know makes it not make sense here that's Pedro Grifol. We've got some just, once again, more meme-worthy stuff here. And 
And I'm sure you've seen it. Most of our listeners have probably seen it. His comments on Moncada in the two-hole, because Moncada wants to hit in the two-hole. And Pedro Grifol is talking about it like it's not the two-hole, because his description is not on par with what you expect in the modern game of baseball. I'm pulling it up here. All right, here's what Pedro Grifol had to say about this. And he says, that's a selfless spot in the order. You have to give yourself up. Not a lot, but some. You have to take pitches, move guys over. You might have to bunt hit and run, and he's all in on that. With your main guys, I don't like interrupting the rhythm of the lineup. So what does that mean? You've got to play. you got to give us games. He knows it. He wants it. He just has to go and take it. I'm not going to hand it to him. Steve, this comment made me roll my eyes into the back of my head. Your thoughts? Remember when he was hired and he won the press conference, as people like to say, a lot of people that followed this team, a lot of observers, people in the blogosphere, talking about Grafol is a more analytical guy. Does talking about bunning and hitting and doing hitting runs with your number two hitter, which most people perceive to be the most valuable spot in the order, does that line up with analytics and, and the way that the game is thought of today? Not in my baseball world, not from a lot of things that I read when it comes to lineup construction and utilizing those 27 precious outs that you are given each and every night. I thought we were past this point of giving away those 27 outs that are valuable currency. But now we're, we're circling back to this. It's almost as if he's Pedro Grafraud at this point. <laughs> Grafool. <laughs> I mean, that goes cool. without saying. Yeah. Um, two spot is a premium position in the order, Steve, as you alluded to right there. And I'll just say it straight up. And I would like Yohan Moncada hitting in the two spot as long as he does what we saw during the World Baseball Classic and what we saw before the injury really, really flared up. Uh, because if you remember, it was like only like a week and a half run at the beginning of the year last year. But when he was up there, he was up pretty well there. So I'd like that but with some power production, um, we, yeah, he can move guys over, but let's do it on a double to the gap. <laughs> you know, let's uh, get maybe somehow Noodle Boy gets on. Then he hit a two-run home run. That's what I want for my two-hitter. I don't know about you. I would like that very much. I would very much enjoy getting back to that Yohan Mankata that even if you go back to the uh, COVID short in 2020 season when he finished fifth, in all of baseball with a 370 on base percentage. I would kill for the 2019 version that had a slugging percentage that started with a five. Now, granted, looks at this point as though that was just more so a byproduct of the super bouncy ball that I've talked about quite a bit. But, you know, I would very much enjoy Yoan Lincata getting himself into some hitters counts. 2-0-3-1, sitting dead red on fastballs and looking to drive the ball and do damage. That's been one of my biggest criticisms of him since he got up to this team in you know, July of 2017 is he's not aggressive enough in the strikes when he gets himself into hitters counts. That's what I want to see out of Yoan Lincata. That's what I want to see out of any number two hitter think about Shohei Otani you know the the Camelback Ranch's other tenant there when he's getting up there in the batter's box and he's ahead 2-0 in the count do you think he's being passive up there if there's a fastball thrown right down the dick do you think he's taking that pitch no he's looking to hit it to fucking Mars that's what I want out of Yohan Mankata or anybody 
in that number two spot for the White Sox. Right. I mean, you look other places too. I don't know exactly how the Yankees are going to run it down, but you got options there in Juan Soto and Aaron Judge. Are, are they, is uh, Brett Boone asking those guys to, you know, be selfless and sacrifice in that situation? I don't think so. What are we doing here? It's ridiculous. So I've got another one for you, Steve. If that wasn't enough, I've got another one for you from Mr. Clean here. You ready for it? Pedro Grafol. There's a certain way we want to do things and a certain style of play we want to see. That's where we're at. I've said this before. The train is leaving the station. You're either on it or you're not. This is how we do things. That's a lot of word salad. Now we've got trains leaving stations. We've had houses built in the past. Uh, We've had a number of these sort of phrases that have been thrown around here. But he's talking about team culture, probably related to the FASTS uh, acronym that, that they're throwing out there as well at spring training, Steve. This stuff, like I said, I I keep going back to this, but it is the meme that just keeps giving. This is White Sox baseball. This is junior high baseball bullshit right here at its finest. And it's being displayed in the major leagues. Seriously, he has shown himself to be completely incompetent, to be in over his skis. Um, I think the baseball world realizes at this point that there was a reason why he had never been hired as a manager and that this will be his lone managerial stop. And the fact of the matter is, if he wants to talk about a train leaving the station, the fact of the matter is this, that train is not getting where it wants to be as long as he is the conductor leading that train, plain and simple. Well said. I like I said when when I hear this kind of stuff, I I wonder if like the beat reporters like taking this down. How, how do you keep a straight face? How do you keep a straight face listening to some of this? That's what I want to know. So kudos to the James Feagans and Daryl Fanscowans and Scott Merkins of the world for you know apparently being able to keep it together because I would I, I don't know, man. I, at this point, I can't help but laugh. That, that is all I can do to really weather this sort of stuff, Steve. And, you know, for all the talk about culture, I was listening to a little bit of, you know, just some national takes on certain things and talking about how the deterioration of that culture and getting called out uh, publicly on multiple occasions last year. Um, I have an unfortunate feeling that it's going to be more of the same with, with this dude at the helm. Because sure, there were probably some issues between some guys. I mean, we, we've heard the Yasmani Grandal and Tim Anderson back and forth and yada, yada. You get rid of some of those guys. But th- there's the fact of the matter is they are still a group, a, a core group here as the player performances we just talked about at the beginning of the show. Um and the guys that you brought in, sure, you might have some okay veterans and stuff there. But does anyone really, you know, jumping in front of Pedro Grifol to conduct that train and take it in a new direction? I don't see it. Here's a question that I have for you, Jonathan. How often do you hear about culture surrounding teams like my Barbs or the Dodgers or the Astros? You don't hear about it very often. And you know why? Because those teams are busy hitting the ball out of the ballpark and outscoring their opponents on a nightly basis. Now, sure, they have their ways of doing things. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. All good, successful organizations have a way that they go about doing things behind the scenes through the minor league level. There seems to be a consistent process that successful organizations follow. But you don't hear this talk about, oh, there's a great clubhouse culture. You hear about clubhouse culture and trying to get that back on track. When you have losing teams more oftentimes 
than not. It's always we need to repair the culture in in, in this locker room after we had a hundred loss season. I'm not hearing any talk about you know culture with the Barbs or with the Phillies or any of those teams or the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, because they win. Right. It's it's kind of like a given. It's like already like just there, and you don't need to talk about it because it's existing in the you know, what feels good, you know, what really helps drive things is winning ball games. That's, you know, the ultimate culture builder right there. So unfortunately, the Sox aren't going to be doing too much of that this year. And part of that is going to be because they can't stay healthy. And it wouldn't be White Sox baseball, White Sox spring training without injuries, Steve. We've already got nine players on the White Sox injury report, all of them pitchers here, uh, some more severe than others. I'll do a quick little rundown here. Uh, Davis Martin targeting midseason return as he recovers from Tommy John. Uh, on the Tommy John topic, uh, Edgar Navarro and Jesse Schultons are out for the season because of that. Uh, John Brown. R.I.P.I.P. The yeah. um, let, let Jesse cook. Yeah, yep, we need to cook. Damn it. It just doesn't wouldn't feel the same with Jesse Chavez. I know some people suggested that to me, using it for him. I don't know if I can do it. Um, the, we'll, we'll continuing on here though uh john brebbia right calf strain um taking resting taking some time off now but they're still hopeful to be ready for opening day see how that plays out shane drohan will start the season late uh he had shoulder surgery Corey knable on a minor league deal here uh still recovering from that uh shoulder surgery that knocked him out in 2022 needs more bullpens before game action and opening day status unclear an interesting comments there um jimmy lambert shoulder soreness 10 to 14 days as of believe Wednesday uh, when that one came out. Joe Barlow, shoulder soreness, likely out longer than Lambert, but he's got some options, so that might be uh, workable. And then Jake Eater, right shoulder soreness, throwing side session on Sunday. Don't know how that one went, Steve, but you have some take on Eater here. Let's hear it. Okay, so I saw some conversation going on the X machine about why there's concern or why there would be a delay about a pitcher and his non-throwing shoulder having some soreness. So here's the one thing that I can think about. If you have an extremely sore non-throwing shoulder, one thing that can happen is it can cause, you know, your what they what they call leaking with the front side here, your glo- your glove side. So if you're leaking with that front side in this case with either the right shoulder here, it can cause you to open up a little bit too early and can add additional strain onto your throwing shoulder. This was a problem that I personally dealt with uh, during my time as a scrub junior college relief pitcher. So I can personally attest to this here. So if that front shoulder is leaking a little more, because if you're trying to overcompensate for it, because it is extremely sore, you can then potentially develop a throwing shoulder issue. If you're opening up too early, flying open with that front side right there and putting more strain on that throwing shoulder there. So they're probably just being overly cautious with it. That's the one thing I can think of with it. Who knows? There could be something else going on there, but they haven't said a whole lot about it. So that's just one little thing that immediately kind of caught my eye and kind of got my brain turning a little bit. Right. And I feel like, you know, fans are quick to jump on that because, you know, the, the, the question mark then, well, we've already, you know, feel like it was a culmination of, okay, well, we've already had a wave of injuries here. Then you add on something like that, that may be a little bit, um, you know, mysterious uh, on that front as to why he would be slowed down too much in camp, but they did say that he was going to throw a side day. I did not hear any reporting back on that. So maybe we'll get an update uh, throughout the week. Uh, keep an eye on the uh, at socks on tap 
Gap uh, socials, um, and we'll keep you posted there um, as we have anything here. Um, Steve, on this injury front, we'll, we'll get on to um, our next bit of discussion in a minute here. Any of these concerning here um, on this front? I thought it was a little bit interesting that, you know, they were asking about opening day status for Corey Knable, who's here on a minor league deal. And, you know, in a perfect world, yeah, it'd be great if he could make the major league team. But there were no guarantees there. Is this hinting at anything that he was, you know, above the pack in terms of getting a bullpen spot here? I think they probably did view him as somebody towards the back end of the bullpen that they were meaning to pencil in for opening day, just given his status as a veteran guy and someone that has had some significant success here at the major league level with a relatively young, inexperienced bullpen and a group of, you know, relative journeymen for the most part. Um, Knable was a guy that you thought maybe you could pencil in there in that ninth inning slot. So, and maybe there were, you know, some conversations that were had with him and his representation at the time that he did sign with the team that say, Hey, you know, you have a, you know, front track in terms of getting a roster spot here. I know it was done on a non uh, major league guaranteed deal, but you know, those conversations do certainly happen. So, um, I don't know that I would say any of them are overly concerning. You see shoulder soreness with pitchers pretty much every spring training here. I think the sheer quantity of them and just given the injury problems that this organization has had for the last couple, two, three years is raising the alarm bells. But I feel like this is pretty common across the, the game. I haven't looked at the injury reports for all 29 other teams, but I would venture to say you're probably going to have pitchers of varying degrees with shoulder soreness or elbow soreness kind of litter throughout camps. Nope. I'll just send out this warning here then um, because you're going to hear it and there's going to be a lot of frustration and understandably so the, the fan base, you know, right now we may be apathetic, but when the real games start happening, that there's going to be some anger at the performance of this ball club because they're not going to be very good. And unfortunately, if, such injuries continue to linger and we've already got a few that are long-term so you can maybe open up a couple of spots already here you're going to see the likes of brian shaw jesse chavez guys that are veteran guys that have no business being around here for the long haul right but they're going to have to help fill innings here and people are going to get frustrated about that so just be ready for it i'm just telling you right now these injuries linger that's what you're going to see because that's who's going to be available to actually throw um maybe not well but they can throw. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that on the injury report, Steve. Let's take it off the diamond and move it up to the broadcast booth. We've got ourselves a new TV announcer. John Schriffen uh, made his White Sox TV debut over that first weekend of Cactus League games and um, early returns. You wrote up a little post about this over on ontapsportsnet.com um, talking about, you know, what to make of John Schriffen's uh, first couple of games as a White Sox broadcaster here. And Steve, just in short, I'll go into a little more detail after you speak on it, but I was pleased with what I heard and saw. I agree. It was a very easy listen. John Schreffen is obviously a professional broadcaster, someone that is trained to do this. And there wasn't any over-the-top corniness um, that, you know, kind of plagued and was a little bit detrimental to his predecessor, Jason Benetti. I know there's a lot of Jason Benetti supportors that watch this show that, you know, are boycotting the team overall now and, and are upset about, you know, the fact that he is no longer here, that he's up in Detroit at this point. 
But there were aspects of the broadcast that I know I didn't particularly care for, and and a lot of other listeners didn't care for either. Um, you know, Schriffen with only the two broadcasts under his belt to this point, we didn't get anything to that point. Like I said, it was a relatively easy listen. He seemed to have very good rapport right off the bat with Stephen Stone, who can be a little bit of an old curmudgeon at times, um, both on social media platforms and in the booth. You know, <laughs> plenty of times where him and Hawk. There's a track were, record, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Him and Hawk were at odds with with each other a lot. Now look, Hawk, very big personality in that booth. He, it was his booth, and he commanded it, and he let everybody know it. So that that can certainly happen. But there were also times where Jason and Stephen, you know, had some awkward moments in there. But that didn't seem to happen with John Schriffen. Um, one of the things I talked about in the, in the pieces, you know, we didn't really have a signature call from Jason Benetti, something that is really synonymous with most of the legendary baseball play-by-play men throughout the course of history here. And I kind of posed that question uh, after the team had the walk-off winner where he, you know, kind of coined the term South side stand up, you know, so that's something I'm going to be paying attention to and see, is that going to be part of his regular repertoire? The reaction to that was a little bit mixed. I think that's something that could grow and develop over time to have a little bit more cachet to it. So I'm interested enough to see where he kind of goes from this, but the early returns I thought were positive. I liked it. Um, I mean, it was a walk-off win there too. It was pretty exciting um, for even for spring training standards because it was Edgar Carroll, one of the top interesting prospects there coming in and hitting that. And I liked it. I didn't feel like it was forced and I enjoyed it. And some people, you know, jumped on it saying, oh, well, it's only spring training and this and that. First of all, you got to set the tone, right? So apply that to the broadcast booth along with the team. That was a good way to set the tone in my opinion. Yeah, again, it was his second broadcast. He's learning himself in the booth he has to be prepared to do this 162 games a year win or lose there's going to be a lot more losses than there's going to be wins this year he's got to find his way in the booth he's got to find his style and he's going to try some things some of it's not going to work some of it will stick hawk was in the booth for close to four decades and one of my favorite hawkisms and I wrote about this also in the piece. He didn't start working into the regular rotation until they snapped a seven-game losing streak in August of 2005 with the infamous, and this ball game is over. Hawk had been in the booth for over 20 years at that point before he started working that in there. So to think that Schriffen is trying some things now in his second broadcast, how dare he? Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to get some pushback just because of, like you had said, that Jason Benetti had uh, very adamant supporters. And I understand that. Teach their own. I wasn't, I was somewhere in the middle on it. I feel like, and you were in the same boat there. Certain things, aspects, moments that I enjoyed with him, then other ones that made me cringe a little bit, right? That, that was just how I viewed it. And, you know, the, depending on the day, the outcome of the game as well. Um, that, that's how, you know, I just perceived it on Jason Benetti's end. But I want to get to a few couple tree bullet points here, Steve. Specific things that I liked about John Schriffen. I really like how he lets the game breathe. I believe there was a nice play by Brian Ramos at third base in the very first game that he called against the Cubs, and it was kind of nothing overly spectacular, but it was a nice ranging play to his left, and he had to stick the glove out and make a good solid throw over to it. And Schriffen called it with the proper level of excitement for something like that when the Sox were down 4-1 to one or whatever it was at the time, right? 
then he let it breathe and then the you know the as the producer cuts then to the guys high-fiving each other with the gloves as they go in and they blend it into a replay a slow-mo replay of brian ramos doing that schriffen then followed up he let that moment breathe and then he followed up and said brian ramos flashing the leather at third and then you know transition into whatever he needs to say right before the commercial i like that that just felt very natural to me and like i said i think it was appropriate amount of excitement for the situation another thing that i like on john schriffen's part um is the reluctance to over glorify an opponent something we saw with his predecessor right i i was kind of in and out of one of this i want to say it was a game against the cubs but it was a um Eloy I want to say or it might have been the game against the Mariners but either way Eloy was he hit a ball pretty hard but it was a nice play by one of the Mariners in the field I want to say it was and instead of saying oh what a great play by whatever the no-name second baseman is or whoever it was Eloy robbed of a hit there that's a that's a return to more Hawk style maybe not called in the same exact way not the daggummit you know not that exact style but you know what I'm saying right Back to a little bit of that homerism. It doesn't have to be over the top all the time, but just those little moments. Because you know what? I'm a White Sox fan in my head, and I'm thinking, damn it, Eli got robbed there. Oh, John Triffin just said it. I like that, right? Then another one. You know me. I am a professional hater, Stephen. I hate the Cubs. And John Triffin already dropped one in his very first broadcast, even though it's Cactus League spring training here, about... I hate to give the Cubs any credit because I already don't really like them at all. That immediately also lit up in me because full time watching that seeing anything Cubs related. I don't like the Cubs. That's just me. My personal takeaways from it, Steve. I agree on a number of those fronts right there. Obviously any kind of Cubs slander is the type of thing that will garner support within much of this fan base. And uh, John Schriffen, you know, kind of got the memo he talked about during his early media sessions about uh, kind of getting a sense for the fan base. And who knows, maybe he's listening to this broadcast right now. Again, John, if you are, we'd love to have you on to talk a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah, he, like you said, he did do his homework on it and it seems like that, you know, once again, we're only two broadcasts in, but luckily we will get a couple more uh, this upcoming week as the staggered broadcast schedule uh will resume with a couple of matchups this week so i'm sure we'll have more but it'll be interesting to see uh, how he develops here through it throughout spring and then into the regular season too because when it matters you know steve emotions gonna be ratcheted up a little bit more because that even though this team doesn't have very many expectations about it why are we all here we we're passionate white Sox fans so we want a passionate white Sox announcer right 100 percent. a lot of people like to give hawk crap actually i take that back most of the criticism that Hawk got were from fans of a certain team that portend to not care about the White Sox, yet they have a mm, lot right. to say about Hall of Famer Hawk Harrelson. Suck it. Yep, that's right. And All right. Yeah. So, and so, yeah, I mean, John Schriffen kind of getting back to that, maybe not, like you said, with the same emphasis that Hawk would have, but you're, you're the White Sox home play-by-play announcer. We want that. We care about the team. You've said it yourself. We are emotionally invested. We want somebody on our side. So I like hearing that. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, in part of it, just uh, real quick on that note, I understand Jason May did a lot of national commitments, right, uh, in terms of broadcasting there. And maybe that blood into uh, his styling then for White Sox. But when you have a team that, that you see every day, right, over the summer, baseball's 162-game grind. Hey, you couldn't be there for all of those. Once again, 
nut that was up to the socks in him between uh, and those that confrontation on that front. But either way, he had some fill-ins there. And then when he came back, it was like still dusting off the, um, you know, uh, national announcer mode, right? And having to get back into White Sox mode. Only for him to then go on an assignment next weekend, right? When college football started rolling around. So, well, I'll just leave it at that. My last note on broadcast, name's right here. Tried and true. I don't have anything to add, but hearing Len Casper's voice sounds like summer in my eardrum, Steve. So I enjoyed listening to a couple of radio calls too, uh, when there were not White Sox TV broadcasts. So um, let's uh, move on from the broadcast booth here, Steve. Um, and I want to talk about just uh, how there is not a, just on spring training, as you would like to say here. In the year of our Lord 2024, how is there not at least a webcast for every single spring training game? And I understand that there are production costs that go into putting on a full-fledged broadcast for a network, right? That's why there's only a few of them limited in here and even shit marquee on the other side of town. They started taking some of theirs remote, right? Um, to cut down on some costs there. So I do understand that, but you're telling me out in Arizona, where a school like Arizona state with a pretty prominent journalism programs, right in your backyard, you can't put together a team of students to maybe put together a webcam broadcast. And I don't even need announcers on it, Steve. I would honestly love to hear the natural sounds of the ballpark. But if you could just get some camera operators in there, maybe one producer on the switch to get the right camera angles, shit, it was a little thrown together, but I was happy that the Texas Rangers, even though it wasn't anything high quality, kind of looked like a Birmingham Barons game on the center field camera view, but they were at least able to put together a webcast for that game on Saturday, right? That's what I would like to see at every single one if you're not going to do a full-fledged TV broadcast. I mean, come on. We have the technology. It is fascinating. That's the word that I will use. The fact that they can't put together a broadcast more consistently. You see some teams that are doing it for every spring training game. I was honestly a little bit surprised that NBC Sports Chicago didn't waste one of their five and I'm being a little facetious there with, with the number there, their low total number of spring broadcasts, that they didn't use one of them this past Friday when this team was playing against the Cubes again, because that seems to be ones that they go to every time. Um, so not seeing that happen, knowing that people had to resort to, you know, that marquee Mickey Mouse network bullshit. A little interesting choice from my perspective there, but... Again, like you said, at least give me a webcast. Give me something because I want to see Eric Fetty pitching. I want to see Nick Nestrini pitching. These are the guys that matter theoretically. And you know, spring training is really a best time to kind of get an early sense for these guys because I'm not watching Charlotte Knights games when the calendar flips yep. to April. I'm not watching Birmingham Barons games. I'm not doing that again. Give me something to see here. Right. And you know what the thing is, uh, they have those cameras out there because they're not extremely high quality. But when Gavin Sheets hit a pair of home runs in that split squad when he was in the home game against the Royals there. But most of us were watching the uh, one against the Mariners on the road because they actually had a webcast put together. Right. Um, there's camera out there. Granted, it was pretty rough quality. But like I said, you're telling me that, you know, you can get those to clip highlights of Gavin Sheets hitting home runs, but we can't just get just a couple of operators on it to just feed you the game action live. Even if it's not as extensive in terms of dialed in angles and real close-ups and stuff like that, come on, we, we can do it. We can do it. They just refuse to. 
So that's one of the many issues uh, going on with baseball. Another one is uniform, Steve. I just want to touch on this really quick because Fanatics founder Michael Rubin spoke up. Um, apparently he's tired of the backlash that they're getting. And he says they're being unfairly blamed for the shit show that is the MLB uniforms. And then on the flip side of that, uh, the always reliable Mr. Bozo, the clown MLBPA boss, Tony Clark, is hopeful the issues will be resolved. Nothing concrete there, but he's hopeful that the issues will be resolved in time for regular season games. Um, Steve, I don't believe either of these guys. I blame Fanatics for their dog shit quality. It's not just MLB uniforms. You go and look at all of the gaffes. There's a full X account dedicated to being called Fanatics Sucks. And they dig up all of the gaffes that, that come from this company. And it's across multiple sports in terms of fan gear for football, hockey jerseys misspelled or put nameplates upside down, shit like that. Um, and baseball gear has had that issue as well. And now you're seeing it. Now that they're producing on-field gear for these guys. I mean, some of these photo days, I feel bad. It's like, do we need to put NSFW warnings on these? Because those are getting pretty see-through on the white pants, Steve. But, hey, remember, the pants, are, they're the exact same that they were a year ago. Right. Remember, that's that's what they're telling us. All the all the players that said that they couldn't get their custom dimensions right, they're wrong. And Fanatic's boss, Michael Rubin, is correct. Yeah. That's, that's what he wants me to believe. Yeah, totally. Because I, I know you probably remember as I do, or, or maybe we just missed it. All last spring training, you know, we weren't seeing still shots of players' junks just right, right out there in the in the open for people on Twitter accounts. Again, apparently we just missed the pants. They're the exact same. At the end of the day, what it comes down to is this: fanatics. They must be stopped. I don't know how, but they must be. And if Tony Clark is involved. And something I'm going to assume that it's just not going to be resolved properly, yeah. and that if anything, the problem will probably get worse. Yeah, it'll uh, at this point with us being just a little under a month out from opening day, I have a hard time believing that this shit is going to get rectified in a way that would be acceptable for the majority of players that have uh, these complaints coming out. Steve, do you remember, I want to say it was after um, COVID in 2021, early on in that season, and the White Sox weren't wearing their 83 colors on Sundays. You remember that? And there's a supply chain hold up there. And that was still under just Nike, right? In the transition from Majestic. And if they're going to have issues on that front, Fanatics is even worse run on their front. So I have no faith in this thing getting rectified and no intention to buy any of the Fanatics gear. Oh, I think that this train wreck is just beginning. Once we get towards the regular season, I know I've had conversations with our friends of the show over at uh, Grandstand at the corner of 35th and Wallace, longtime apparel shop just down the street from the ballpark there. They, um, I, I've had a lot of conversations with them about this, and um, just some of the things that I've heard are, are just really troubling, honestly. Um, it's, like I said, Fanatics, they just they have to be stopped. Yeah, at the end of the day, I'd recommend following that fanatic sucks account on X. It really does give me a good laugh, and it, it, it's sad that this uniform manufacturer is botching things so much. But they bring to light a lot of the issues that you're talking about because some players can say it or whatever. But until you actually see it, how bad some of them are. I saw a store that got a shipment of Mets jerseys that were stuck together, um, you know, and they had to really like prime apart. That's what you get for heat pressing instead of stitching. Come on, it's Major League Baseball. Stitch the damn uniforms. That's 
it's ridiculous. Uh, I'll leave it at that, though. That's little league bullshit. <laughs> it's little league bullshit. Steve, let's move on uh, as we look at what's on tap next here. Uh, coming up for the White Sox uh, Monday uh, at home against the Diamondbacks. Uh, Tuesday is an off day. Wednesday, Dodgers. Uh, it, it is at Camelback Branch, and that one will be on NBC Sports Chicago. So our next taste of John Schriff in there. Um, Thursday versus Milwaukee. That uh, will also be on NBC Sports Chicago. So a little midweek uh, White Sox baseball on your television. Uh, Friday at Cleveland, 205. That one's only on Guardians Radio. Saturday, uh, at San Diego, Sox will have a webcast of that one. And then Sunday at San Francisco, 3.05 with that um, change in time there. It's kind of coming early this year, but that one's only on Giants Radio here. That's what's coming up here. Uh, Steve, other than that, I'll be keeping an eye monitoring some of these injuries. Um, who are you looking forward to watching perform more? I think we're going to get another Michael Kopech one. That'll be one that I'm definitely tuned into. Yeah, I would say Kopech is definitely at the top of my list right there. And at the same time, Eric Fetty, you know, I, I wish I could have gotten to actually see the game live here today. Obviously, you've seen just some of the clips on the interwebs here. Um, you know, looks like he's probably slated to throw on Friday in that game against Cleveland. So we probably won't get any live. Um, well, we obviously won't get any live uh, video feed of it there. But those are the two guys that really have my interest peaked the most. We saw some positive things from Michael Kopech. I just want to see him going out there and attacking the strike zone more consistently, working ahead of counts, and being more efficient. Yep, I would agree with that. On the position player side, unfortunately, now we have to monitor this Oscar Colas situation uh, and our right fielders playing first base and our first baseman playing right field. So we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, I think Mike Moustakis is already cooked, so Chris Getz, that was a great idea, as you had said, but want to say that one's already um you know he won't be on the train leaving the station here mr clean okay um and uh other than that dominic fletcher that's another one that i'm keeping an eye on because can this be an answer to the right field question i don't have faith that it'll be fully answered here but it is just the next you know uh guy in line here and i would hope that you know that, that small sample size that he had with Arizona last year at least gave me some hope that this guy can get on base and maybe shoot some gaps. But um, you know, there's been some good and mostly meh so far from him that I've seen. So yeah, Fletcher is I think on the positional side one of the more interesting guys to keep an eye on for that very reason. There, this black hole that this team has had in right field since feels like I mean, a curse, right? It, it it really does. I mean. Ivy Garcia was really the last time that this team had any kind of stability. And I mean, think back, you know, he was a guy that was kind of maligned for a good portion of his White Sox tenure. But since he left, man, it has just been a result, a revolving door of suck out there. And if Dominic Fletcher could help be part of the solution in there, even if it's in just a platoon role right there, obviously he would have the strong side of the platoon there hitting from the left-handed side of the plate that would go a long way towards helping this team get on track. Yep, I agree 100%. So we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, once again, follow us on the socials at SoxOnTap, at ONTAP Sportsnet. Uh, keep you updated with what's going on out in the desert at White Sox Spring Training. Uh, as always, ONTAPSportsnet.com, place to go for your uh, Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Uh, and Subscribe on YouTube so you can join the comment section. I uh, would love to hear your take on what's going on with the Sox. All right, Steve, that'll wrap it up for this edition of Sunday Funday with Sox on Tap. Until next time, White Sox forever. White Sox for life.